You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, God willing, we're going to be continuing our series of classes on the inner world of addiction, and this week's class is going to be titled One Moment at a Time. Now, very similar to the same structure that we've been utilizing for the previous classes, this class is going to be rooted in the dual nature of addiction, or the potential towards addiction, wherein within the condition itself, within the negative experience or the negative phenomenological rootedness of addiction and stuckness, we will be capable of finding the roots or the potential towards recovery from addiction, whereby the addict to the alcoholic, the potential addict, the potential alcoholic, the soul of chaos, the soul of Kayim, the students of Beishamai, or those souls of severity, will find within their condition itself the capacity to open up vistas into untold manners of potential and experience that other individuals who do not experience the same intensity have no access to. Rooted in the teachings of the Ramban, based on previous thinkers, that within the bitterness itself rests the cure, that refua, or fixing things, or healing, in its essential form, as it is seen from a divine or godly perspective, is not some sequential movement wherein there's a sickness and then there's a cure that comes from elsewhere, from a makom acher, from a place of otherness, but rather within the maka itself, there's a ripoi. Within the condition itself, one finds the ability to move out of that condition. Now, what we're going to be speaking about this week is the addict or the potential addict's experience with time. Now, time, Although it's a universal concept, and everything and every person and every experience is within the confines of temporality, of the triadic structure of past, present, and future, the addict or the potential addict or the soul of chaos has a unique experience, a unique relationship with the concept of time itself. To the point that according to many philosophers of addiction, addiction or the potential towards addiction can be seen as a condition that is rooted in the relationship that an individual has with time. But before we look at the texts and the sources that describe this explicitly, both from within the traditions of Jewish mystical and Hasidic thought, as well as the tradition of the philosophical and phenomenological analysis of the experience of addiction. A series of writers over the last 10 years who have recognized that addiction is far more than just a condition neurobiologically or physically speaking, but rather it is a heuristic point that can disclose certain essential aspects about all human beings like we've been talking about in all of these series of classes we're going to enter into a small discussion about the nature of time from a rabbinic perspective. Because according to most Rishonim, according to most commentators, time itself is a nivra, time itself is a creation. 
meaning to say that time is only a possibility and only a concept that we have access to once the human being already finds themselves thrown into the playing field of this worldly experience. That prior to our descent into this, this worldly confines of the body and the spirit being two separate entities, of being stuck within the conditionality of moving towards Misa, moving towards the cessation of experience with the mortality of our experience being forefront in front of our minds. Because as psychologists have pointed out, Norman Brown, Ernest Becker, in particular in his wonderful work, The Denial of Death, that one of the unique factors of what makes a human being a human being in contradistinction to other mammals is death awareness is the simple truth that we are dreadfully and deeply aware of our own mortality. And according to the existential psychotherapists, as delineated in Irving Yalom's famous textbook titled Ex Existential Psychotherapy, one of the four major concerns that plagues human experience by throwing it into a state of angst or anxiety or even melancholia is the question of our own death awareness. The realization the realization that we are stuck within the confines of temporality. According to Yalom, the four questions that animate human experience, where each of us find ourselves, whether we acknowledge it or not, unconsciously or consciously stuck within an existential vacuum of being stuck with certain murmurings of the heart or doubts, the four questions according to Irving Yalom are as follows. One of them is death awareness, the acute awareness of our own mortality, which as we're going to see is deeply dependent on our relationship with time. The question of responsibility, the question of meaninglessness, and the question of meaning. So amongst these four general categories, which define for Irving Yalom and Rallo May and the humanist existential psychotherapists, our relationship with time and temporality and its relationship with the concept of death awareness and our acute awareness of our own impending mortality throws the human being, especially those who are acutely aware of this, like the souls of chaos or the potential addict, into a certain mode of questioning their lives, questioning experience, never quite being capable of resting assuredly in this world, but rather constantly being called into question by their own questioning or calling the world into question through our own philosophical investigations. Now, one of the areas that the rabbinic conception of time comes out most clearly and acutely is actually when it comes to the distinction between the written law as expressed in the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, and the oral law, which is going to be comprised of the Mishnayot and the Talmud itself, and all subsequent rabbinic thinking, especially when seen through the lens of Rav Tzadok HaKohen's Meleblin's conception of the oral law. Now, one of the animating factors that distinguishes the written law, Torah Shebechtav, and the oral law, Torah Shebalpeh, is that Torah Shebechtav, the written law, is typically seen as being fully expressive of a level of clarity that is typically reserved for divinity. That the written law expresses exactly what it is specifically and clearly in the letters of its being written that the written law is not something to be questioned, it's not something that brings to mind doubt, but rather one that calls for interpretation. But the written law is seen as the ideal of certainty associated by rabbinic thinking as daytime, which is associated with the sun, which brings to mind clarity, like Chazal have the language of Barur Keshemesh, clarified and as apparent as the light of the sun. While Torah Sheba Alpeh, or the oral law, 
is always one step removed from that original primordial clarity of the written law. That the oral law is seen as being a response to the concealment and the hiddenness that takes place once God's revelation ceases to be experienced on a daily basis. Once prophetic experience ends, there is a need for human beings to engage in our own intellectual and knowledgeable processes to discern one thing from another and to utilize our own human understanding to discern the inherent and hidden meanings of the written text. So for this reason, because the oral law is dependent on a certain level of concealment and occlusion of the revelatory source of revelation and disclosure, Oral law is associated with nighttime, with concealment, with hiddenness, with exile, with difficulty, with the need to utilize certain strengths of epistemology and thinking, which force us into more severe aspects of ourselves. Now, if the written law is associated with eternity and that which is above the temporal structure of past, present, and future, beyond time, or lamalam and hasman, as the rabbis would put it, then the oral law, or Torah Shabbat al-Peh, or this concealment of revelation, which forces human beings to utilize their own knowledge to kind of feel their way through the muddied waters of this worldliness, then oral law is going to be associated with being stuck within the confines of time, within that temporal sway of past, present, and future, where each moment seems to be marching towards the inevitable confrontation with our own mortality as human beings. Now, the first word in the first Mishnah, the first opening verse in oral law is in Meseches Brachot. In the first Mishnah, it says, the question is posed, korin at shema ba'arvit. At what point do we begin to read Kriyat Shema at the nighttime? Now, this question of Me'emasai, from when, is already posing a question of temporality. At what moment, at what point in the temporal process of past, present, and future do we try and be faithful? Do we try and proclaim our faithfulness in spite of the lack of clarity? The Aravis, at nighttime, when there is a nirbuvya, when there is a combustion, and when there is a combination of strengths which brings to mind concealment and lack of clarity, the opening question that the rabbis bring in the oral law is the question of at what point are we capable of acknowledging and testifying to the divine presence and the presence of clarity within the muddied and concealed light of this worldliness. Now, According to the Tukune Zohar and according to numerous commentators, the six sidros of the Mishnah, the six sections that make up the basic structure of the oral law, can be comprised in the acronym of Zion Mem Nun, Nun Kuf Tes, which spells out, according to many commentators, Zman Nakat, which when read beyond the acronistic form, can actually be read as time is given meaning to say that our confrontation with the concealed realm of Torah Shebaal Peh, of the oral law, which is constituted and dependent on this level of concealment and being thrown into a world where we confront our, our, our own mortality, is already always a concept of zman nakat, of confrontation with time. Now, there is an incredible reading by the Sod Yesharim, Rav Gershon Henech of Radzin, who has been one of our mouthpieces for this entire series of classes. And this happens to be in the writings of one of his students, which was compiled and printed a few years ago, 
where he looks at this first opening statement of Me'im Masai Korin et Shema Ba'arvis, at what point, already throwing us into the question of temporality and time, at what point do we attempt to proclaim and testify to the unity of God, even within the concealment and the doubled concealment that seems to abide within the darkness of this worldliness? And in only a way that Rav Gershon Henech of Radzin can read in a psychoanalytic inversion of the rabbinic texts, he utilizes the shoresh of the word Me'im Masai, Me'emasai means from when, already calling into question a question of time and a relationship with time. But what the Sod Yisharim reads is as follows. He says that Me'emasai, the question of from when, hulashon ema v'pachad, can also be read etymologically speaking as the word for fear and anticipation, or really a, a pre-modern expression of the experience of anxiety. Like the Pasuk in Shemos in the 23rd parak, the 27th Pasuk says, I will cast my fear upon you. So the way the Sod Yasharm is reading this opening Mishnah, this entrance into the world of Torah Shabal Peh, of Zman Nakat, of the confrontation with time and temporality, is not a question of from what point do we read this Shema, do we testify to the unity of God and ourselves, but rather due to the anxiety that I experience, due to this ex experience of confronting my own mortality, this anticipatory fear of the simple truth that at one moment in the future, this will end, my experience in this world will end, as Kierkegaard expresses so powerfully in his numerous writing on, on anxiety, that anxiety is born out of the relationship that the human subject has with the confines of temporality, with the realization that time must come to an end. Because if I can experience a past and a present, that implies immediately that there will also be a future. And when I contemplate the future, I'm forced to come into contact with my own mortality. So it's not simply the question of from what point in time do I attempt to testify to the unity of God, but it's because of the anxiety that is born out of my confrontation with time, out of being stuck in this world of temporal fragmentation, of a past that gives birth to a present which is already always lost when contemplating the future. The question is, really, how do I confront the anxiety of being stuck in time? From within my anxiety, I scream out to God and I realized that the only possible way of confronting time and devouring or beating the monster of time is to utilize the capacity of my testimony to reveal the oneness of experience. Now, time itself, Zman, also brings to mind the concept of a summons. Though another word that we utilize to mean that somebody is called to something or something is appointed for something is the word zimun or hazmana or calling something to its place or announcing that it's time to do something. Now zman in a very Kafkaesque type of way always implies being summoned to do something. I'm always already late for something that one of the primary modes of experiencing time and temporality is being stuck in this always already repetitive state of having missed out on something. By dint of the fact that there is a future and a past and a present, I am forced to confront the deep reality that I am missing out on something that is taking place. Because of this temporal fragmentation, because of being stuck in the confines of time, my main mode of consciousness for the anxious individual or for the potential addict or the addict themselves is that I am missing something, that I am not where I am meant to be. 
that there is elsewhere that I need to be, that there is something other than what I'm doing right now that I must be doing because I'm being summoned. I'm late, I'm late for a very important date as we see in Lewis Carroll's famous book, um, Alice Through the Looking Glass that one of the conditions of being bewildered, one of the conditions of being stuck in an anxiety is the realization that when I think within the confines of time, I'm always already late for something that has not yet arrived. And I'm never quite at the point where I need to be. I'm always thinking about being elsewhere. And lastly, the last makor that I want to use to kind of express this rabbinic conception of time, something that my good friend David Bashevkin expresses very powerfully in a class that he gave called The Torment of Time, which calls into question a statement from the Kliyakar, which says that zman and sar, or time and pain, are synonymous with one another because anything that falls under the confines of time already brings to mind a certain pain as to the fact that I am stuck in confrontation with my mortality. We can look at a famous statement from the Nitziv, Rav Naftali Svizev Berlin, of Vilazhin. When expressing the post-lapsarian experience of the first man and the first woman, or the first couple in Gan Eden, after the primordial transgression, where the world is cast away from its original, supernal, spiritually pure status into the thrownness of this worldly fragmentation where past, present, and future forced me to confront this anxious anticipation and anxious confrontation with the devouring monster that is time. So the Nitziv points out that one of the animating factors of the experience in Gan Eden, in the Edenic capacity prior to the transgression, was the fact that first man and first women were not experiencing any level of shame. They were unclothed and they were not experiencing any shame. Now the Nitziv, in his commentary, Ha'emek Bracha, the depth of the blessing, and again the Nitziv is a profound source to try and analyze some of the roots of Rav Kook's teachings, he says that lo boshishu, that they were not shamed, that they were experiencing a lack of self-consciousness, he says that there's an alternative way of understanding this statement, that Uboshesh Moshe Lavo, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moses elevates Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, and is late in arriving, which brings to the traumatic experience of the Jewish people and the golden calf or the Egel Hazahav because of their miscalculation. So the word Boshesh seems to mean delay. So the Nitziv, looking at the word Boshesh as meaning delay, as this feeling of having always already missed out on something that I was supposed to be doing because of my stuckness in the confines of time, he says that when we look at the status of Adam and Chava, the first man and the first women, in this primordial womb-like state of Edenic perfection, loyit Boshashu, they were unshamed or they had no self-consciousness, can also mean that there was no feeling of having been late. There was no feeling of missing out on something because I am experiencing this moment right now. So that the animating factor of what it meant to be in this prelapsarian state of perfection, or at least as perfect as human beings are capable of becoming in this worldly experience, it was a state that was beyond and removed from the anxiety that is born out of temporality. There was no sense of being late to anything. There was no pervading sense of I am late, I am late for a very important date and running around like a madman or the mad hatter without his eyes and without his ears being capable of seeing what is in front of him, 
Adam and Chava, or pre-lapsarian men and women, were capable of experiencing the time beyond the anxiety that is born out of time, beyond the tsar that is born out of time. Now, for the addict or the potential addict, time becomes a threatening thing. It becomes what gives birth to anxiety, that anticipatory sense that something bad is going to happen, or I am not doing enough at this moment. Because of this pervading sense of lack and not being fully present that is associated with time, the addict or the potential addict's response to time is needing to evade time. On a certain level, the addict or the potential addict's entire process in self-medicating in trying to find substantiality in any type of substance is to escape the confines of time. Because the addict or the potential addict has an experience with time that is solely and specifically rooted in the attempt to evade time's duration, in the attempt to make time feel less painful, in the attempt to ignore time, in the attempt to ignore the past and the future. Very acutely, the addict or the potential addict is quite simply incapable of learning from past events. That which happened in the past, the consequences that emerged out of our attempt to find substantiality in a real toxic substance or a toxic idea, or even a healthy substance that removes us from the midst of life, is insignificant to the individual who is stuck in their addiction. Calling upon the past and utilizing remembrance and memory to be a teacher for us in what the next step should be is almost an impossibility for the addict or the potential addict. The future and the question of what happens next, well, the addict or the potential addict must cut themselves away from that because either the future is going to fill me with an anxiety that says what comes next is threatening in spite of the fact that I cannot put my finger on exactly what it is or name it, or the future brings to mind the threat of consequences and therefore I need to evade it and repress it or suppress it as if it doesn't happen. So that the addict or the potential addict is stuck in the present moment. And when they're stuck in the present moment, the only question is one of instant gratification. How can I evade the heaviness and the burden of temporality? How can I remove myself from the midst of life and find comfort in some substance, in some form of artificial substantiality, which is going to give me the artificial promise of being outside of the confines of temporality, to get higher than past, present, and future. And the addicts or the potential addicts' entire effort is to shorten the duration of time. And what I want to read right now is going to be from Ryan Kemp's Transcending Addiction, An Existential Pathway to Recovery. And on page 40, he writes as follows. Drugs do not endure. They have no future. To thus engage with things that have no future is to be mired in the quote now. The essential claim of this book is that in addiction, the present, the quote unquote now, dominates temporality. Whereas in non-addicted cases, the temporal is a state of flow from the past through the present to the future. In addiction, the present is given priority. The addict is in a sense primarily present, focused and does not experience the future as imminent. Perhaps the future for the addict is there, but they experience it as so imminent it is almost not the future. This immediacy is one rooted in the demand qualities of their body, their thoughts, and their surrounding situation. Drugs have no future beyond their immediate use. The addict is not therefore completely futureless, but has a very limited future. 
a future that terminates in the appropriation and the consumption of the addicted thing. They feel, even fear, the quote, now, will linger and in fact will endure forever. This quote, now that lingers, is not just the being high or winning elation or post-usage bliss of the satiated addict. These states are prototypical with the quote, now that lingers, extending into the existence of the addict. It becomes their temporal way of being. So according to Ryan Kemp, who's utilizing previous thinkers on addiction, and in particular certain philosophers of time, the addict find themselves completely consumed by the now-oriented form of being. All that matters is how I can manage this next moment. And the addict or the potential addict's mode of temporality is entirely consumed of managing the next moment. Addicts and alcoholics, or potential addicts and potential alcoholics, very often in the heart of their conditions, cannot think about anything beyond the next high, cannot think about anything beyond the next moment, because the entire condition of their temporal framework is determined by what happens next, or what Freud would refer to as instant gratification. Now, this is not simply due to the fact that the addict or the alcoholic wants to feel good or wants to feel pleasure immediately, but this desire for immediacy, for things happening immediately and right now without any duration, is because the experience of duration, the experience of being alive in time, being stretched out and feeling ourselves for more than just a moment, is overwhelming to the addict or the alcoholic for numerous reasons. Whether it's some concealed trauma from the original six days of creation, whether it's a mode of ADHD or anxiety that's gone undiagnosed, or whether it's simply an existential acute awareness of the conditions of being rooted in a place that offers more than this world can offer, the addict or the alcoholic is simply uncomfortable with themselves in the present moment. While it's not a source that I often quote, Keith Richards writes in his autobiography that addiction can be summarized as follows. The profound level of contortions that a human being will go through to simply not feel themselves for a second. That for the addict or the alcoholic, even momentary victory, the immediacy of victory, in spite of the fact that it's going to pass away like anything in the present, is what demands the addictive movement from the individual. Because all that matters for the addict, all that matters for the alcoholic, all that matters for the potential addict or the potential alcoholic is evading the confines of this worldly conditions, which is brought into acute awareness through being stuck in the present moment, being stuck in time. Now, Rav Huttner, who we utilized last week, utilizing the 26th chapter in his book on Purim to describe the power of self-overcoming, actually discusses this in a profoundly efficient way in the first teaching on his Ma'amarim, or his essays on Pesach, that the time of freedom, freedom from any form of addiction, freedom from any stuckness, freedom from the anxiety that pervades this worldly existence by dint of the fact that we are future-oriented and we are unaware of what's happening in the future, and therefore we are confounded by the manifold threats that come about when a person thinks about their lives or anything, that Rav Huttner describes that the human being does not want to live within the confines of time. That just like the addict is uncomfortable with being stuck in time, so too all human beings at the core of themselves are uncomfortable with being stuck in time because time calls to mind and brings to the forefront of our minds the mortality of things and the truth of the matter that the center cannot hold and that things fall apart. 
and that what I'm experiencing right now, in spite of the bliss and the engagement and the enjoyment and the presence that I feel, this moment is bound to pass away and that everything good will pass. And all of these dominating configurations and assumptions of what time means tosses human beings into a throne-like state, which says that all time does is bring me into confrontation with my in my inevitable death, in my inevitable confrontation with mortality, or a being towards death, where every moment simply calls into question my eventual mortality or the end of things. Now, Rav Huttner says that human beings naturally want to evade this when they want to escape it. And because of this, we are stuck living with a certain level of angst or discomfort because in spite of the fact that we want to per escape the pervasive anxiety or tsar of temporal awareness of past, present, and future of being stuck in a moment that will not end, of that slow and sluggish movement of time when time inches forward slowly but surely due to the pervading boredom and the emptiness that animates human beings, that human beings, on the one hand, want to evade temporality, want to be timeless, want to remove ourselves from this confrontation with the anxiety of our mortality or this quote-unquote being towards death where each moment is a new iteration of my confrontation with mortality, which I am bound to lose. Or, on the other hand, the simple realization that as human beings, we are stuck within a temporal confrontation. We live within the confines of time. We live within the occlusion that animates the oral Torah, which is opened up with the concept of zman nakat, that time is given, or that a person is mezuman to something, a person is being summoned to something, to some appointment that is beyond where I am right now that forces me to feel that I'm nowhere because I'm not where I'm supposed to be and I'm also not where I need to be, so I find myself in a nowhere place. Now, out of this confrontation of being stuck in time on the one hand and needing to evade time in the other, Rav Huttner describes this movement within the spirit, this movement within the soul that seeks to diminish duration. That because time is painful, but because on the same statement I can't escape time fully, what I will try and do is I will try and limit the sting of time. I will try and limit the tsar of time, like the Kliyakar says. And I will try and make things quicker than they actually are. And I will desire immediate gratification. And I will be incapable of waiting for things to happen. Now, all of these sources come to highlight the simple truth that the addict or the potential addict find themselves stuck in a relationship with time which seeks to evade time. And the reason for that painful relationship is because for the addict in the moment of their addiction, in the moment of our attempt to escape the conditions of what it means to be a human being, can only contemplate the present moment, can only contemplate that which is in front of them without any recourse to the memory or the retention of the past or the contemplation or the assumptions of the future. So the addict on a certain level is completely oriented by a present-mindedness and because that present-mindedness or that present moment brings to mind a certain pain or an inevitability of death and destruction and loss and disintegration into nothingness, the addict or the potential alcoholic seeks with all of their power or ability to evade that time. Now, it is specifically, like we said, 
It is specifically within this relationship with time that the addict or the alcoholic or the potential addict or the potential alcoholic experiences that that individual or we in the collective sense have the capacity of not only confronting the anxiety of time or that pervasive sense of doom that we associate with the temporal sway of a past that leads into a present, which will inevitably give way to a future, which leads to our own inevitable mortality, that not only can a person learn to confront and live with time, and accept the condition of being a human subject that lives within the confines of me'emasai, of questioning the anxiety of time, or even voracious, or in the beginning, which calls to mind the beginning of the temporal structure. Not only can we learn to live with it, but the individual, the potential addict of the soul of chaos who demands more from this world than it can offer, has the capacity to transcend the confinement of time and actually find within Zman itself, within this summons, within this Zimun or this Hazmana, or this preparation, a deep level of experience, a deep level of possibility that without time we would have no capacity to experience. And like all the other classes that we've been giving, it is specifically Endaika, within that broken, fallen state that the addict or the potential addict finds themselves in, that we have the capacity to not only embrace it, but transcend it and find hidden blessings that would have not been possible had it not been for the stuckness or the darkness that we experienced in the negative side of this experience. Now, in order to open up the, the path towards redeeming the present moment, towards redeeming this deep and abiding awareness of being stuck within the present moment that lasts longer than we would be comfortable with, I would actually like to utilize a medrash from Chazal in Bereshus Rabbah in the 63rd parak, and this is going to be Bereshus Rabbah 63 Yud Aleph or 11. Now, this is a statement on the Pasuk in Yirmiyah in the 22nd parak, which says as follows, Al Tibchu Lames. Do not cry for the individual who dies, the al tenudolo, and do not be overcome by that. Ella, bachu tibche laholech. Who should you cry for? You should cry for the individual who is moving towards it. And the way that Chazal interpret this statement is as follows. When discussing the confrontation between Esav and Yaakov, who represent archetypally or paradigmatically two relationships that a human being can have with time. Esav, with his this-worldly conception of reality, is stuck within this conception of temporality, which is a being towards death, which is a realization that every moment that I am alive is simply another enunciation, another iteration of the simple truth that as a human being who is thrown into this world, time calls to mind my imminent mortality. And it's understandable if all a person feels when they confront this present moment is one of impending doom or being towards death, why a person would want to escape that with some sort of artificial or illicit or excessive substantiality. And Yaakov or Jacob, on the other hand, represents a new redeemed way of confronting time confronting the anxiety that the rabbinic thought associates with time and finding within that anxiety the potential towards growth, 
Yaakov does not see each moment as being a movement, a slow march, or an infinite repetition, or an eternal repetition of new iterations marching towards death. But rather, Yaakov sees within time a gate that offers the possibility of redemption at any moment. That instead of seeing this momentariness or this present moment within the chain of temporality as being something that brings to mind death and destruction, thereby driving me to seek solace in some artificial substance which pulls me out of the midst of life, time can in fact call into possibility and call into reality my ability to confront this moment, to live within this moment, and not to think solely about my imminent mortality or my death or my nothingness, but rather to find within this moment an opening, a Pesach, an expansion that gives me the ability to try and be present. Now, Chazal say as follows. They say, that Yaakov made a lentil dish. And this is the famous confrontation between Esav and Yaakov when Esav comes back from the field, when Esav comes back from that frightening, harrowing space of the they, of the Dasein, of being thrown into this world, of being stuck in the external, externalities of this world, of the wilderness of the world, of the motherland of this world, of the blood and soil of this world. Esav comes back in exhausted. Exhausted because everything that Esav sees brings to mind the eventual demise of himself. And Yaakov is making lentils to honor the passing of his grandfather Avram. Yaakov is cooking to commemorate, not to confront the end of things, not to confront this being towards death where time calls into mind my imminent mortality, but rather Yaakov is trying to elicit a certain mode of eternal commemoration which seeks to find within time itself something that which transcends time. So Yaakov makes this dish, and Chazal say as follows, Amar lo, Esav comes in from the field, terrified of his confrontation with death and time, and he says, Mativo shall What is the purpose? What is this dish coming to teach me? Why are you making this? Amar lo, Yaakov answers Esav, Shemes oso hazakim. Yaakov says, our grandfather has passed away. Abraham has died. So again, this confrontation is surrounded around the concept of death, which is another way of discussing the concept of temporality, that the anxiety of time is because it calls into question the future, which immediately brings us face to face with our own natural mortality, our death awareness, the realization that this moment will not last forever. And Esav says, Amar ba'oso hazakein pagamidas hadin. Even that righteous old individual, that zakein, and focus on the word zakein. This elderly individual, he too suffers from judgment. He too falls under the sway of death and mortality that is so tied up with time. Amar lohein. Yaakov, with his unflinching capacity to look reality in the face, in spite of its difficult feelings and in spite of the fear and anxiety that emerges from it, says, yes, Amar lo, he says, Im Cain, Esav responds, lo matan lo Then there is no offering of reward, there is no purpose to our actions, and there is no redemption of death. There is no life beyond death. 
death is the animating factor that determines all things. And if death is what determines all things, then this present moment, this experience of being in the world is painful and anxiety producing. And all I need to do is find a way to escape it. I need to devour more. I need to use more. I need to find substantiality that is going to help me evade this worldliness. And in response, Esav says, Feed me. Let me devour something. Let me intoxicate myself with some substance outside of confronting this worldliness. And Chazal, in understanding this confrontation, they use this pasuk in Yirmiya, which says, Al tibchu lames, the al tenudolo, ze Avraham. Bachu tibche laholech, cry for the person who is walking towards death, ze Esav. Because the sad thing about the story is not the reality of death. Death need not call into question the nature of temporal existence. The fact that things end does not mean that time is pain. The fact that things end does not mean that I must escape time or evade time. But the only time that it demands a, a compassion because of the pathos of it, a crying, a pathetic realization of somebody's opinion is when all of their life is a walk towards death. Do not cry for the person who dies, but rather cry for the person who is walking towards death. That Yaakov and Avraham recognize that the nature of death and the nature of the limited temporal structure of this world, yes, it calls into question pain. Me'emasai is the natural animating mood of the spiritual individual, an anxiety that calls us and pushes us towards finding sustenance from beyond ourselves while the individual who sees time as simply a march towards mortality, as a movement towards death, as being towards death, that's what's pathetic. That's what's sad. That's what demands tears. Because the moment and the present moment of this worldliness and our experience in the present moment need not demand from us like it does for the addict or the alcoholic or the potential addict or the potential alcoholic an attempt to satisfy our instant gratification or inability to recognize what this life is, but it can also elevate us to a place where we're able to confront death, where we're able to confront the movement of things, the transience of things. And instead of being overwhelmed by sadness and darkness, we have the capacity of grabbing hold of the moment and experiencing everything that moment has to offer, thereby redeeming the moment. Like Walter Benjamin writes, that each moment for the individual becomes a narrow gate through which the Messiah can enter. That through mindful awareness that the addict in recovery or the potential addict in recovery or the soul of chaos can actually access is the ability to find presence in their world in each and every moment. Where each moment not only does not call into acute awareness my own mortality and my impending doom, but rather it gives me an opportunity to grab another moment, to grab more experience, to draw down the blessings of more life like Freud would have us understand. That each moment, instead of being something that draws me to fear and forces me to escape myself, actually allows me to confront this world in its momentariness with the full awareness of its transiency. And because of its transiency, I can throw myself into it with everything I have. Because instead of this moment calling to mind the anxiety of death, this moment can call into mind the realization that all I have is this moment. All I have is what's in, what is in front of me right now. 
And when an individual in recovery or potential recovery or a soul of chaos in any mode of discomfort that they're experiencing attempts to throw themselves into the present moment, that is where redemption can be found. That is where the recovering individual or the potential recovering individual has the capacity of finding joy, of finding comfort, of experiencing this world as it is, to experience the blessing of more life or the way Bill W. describes it on page 417 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, to live life on life terms, to be able to confront the givenness of the moment and in spite of the fact that it might be painful and it might be anxiety producing, I can be present in it with my mind, with my heart, with my body, and I am no longer trying to evade or escape it. I am no longer stuck in this conditioned anxiety which tells me that I'm always late or I'm always too early, that I'm always being called elsewhere or called here but missing it, that anxiety that pervades the temporality of our lives, and instead I can throw myself into the present moment and be here now, as Benji Epstein or Dr. Benji Epstein explains so beautifully in his book, Living in the Presence. Now, this is something that animates any recovery model, in particular the 12-step model, which is closest to the philosophically existential spiritual response to addiction, one day at a time or one moment at a time is the clarion call of what it means to be in recovery. No matter what a person feels about 12-step ideology or 12-step theory about what recovery means from a philosophical or even the psychological perspective, the one given thing that must be adhered to no matter what is the one moment at a time consciousness of an ability to be mindful and to be aware that all that I have in front of me is this moment. All that I have in front of me is this confrontation between the past and the future that are both slipping away, which give birth to a moment that is not quite a moment. And the Maharal of Prague, who speaks about time in an incredibly beautiful way, I'm only going to show one Makor right now, and this is in Teferis Yisrael in the 25th parak, where he describes what this confrontation with the present moment is. And the Maharal is drawing a distinction between the concept of Zman, or duration, wherein we feel like Bergson would tell us that pain of the past that gives birth to a present and then eventually ebbing away into the nothingness of a future, comparing Zman to something called Ace, to a moment. And the Maharal says as follows. He says, <clears throat> Ki ha'ata, the concept of now. And Chazal tell us that in ata elachuva, that there is no confrontation with the now with the moment that I am in, that is not a movement towards tshuva, that is not a movement towards moving myself and redeeming myself out of my stuckness, that was a result of the anxiety of time. The Maharal says that the now, the present moment, which is the point of connection between the past and the future, is not considered zman, it's not a duration, it's not something that I can measure. It is something that is immeasurable because it is experienced beyond the categorization of time. Ratza Lomar says the Maharal, Ki The intellectual spiritual concept which takes place in a place beyond the confines of time takes place in the present moment, in my confrontation with what is present and in front of me at this given moment. 
And the Maral continues after skipping a few lines, Ki marnu, for we already have said, Ki ha'ata enozman, the present moment does not fall into the categorization of time, which calls to mind anxiety, because it's shayach davka l'Torah, it's shayach davka to spirituality. The only entrance that we have, that narrow gate that Benjamin spoke about, which gives birth to the possibility of redeeming time, that one moment out of time, that realization that all I have in front of me is this moment, and being clean in this moment is all that matters, to the point that even if I fall back into my old behaviors two moments from now, that does not negate the pleasure and the presence and the redemption of this moment, that is where recovery can be found. And I'm going to read right now from a wonderful book called On Drugs by David Lenson, who is a comparative literature professor, a profound book, and he says as follows. The third consciousness of 12-step groups, for example, is revealing in its emphasis on the redefinition of time, superseding both the pre-drug horizontal time and the post-drug organization of addicted time, wherein temporality rearranges itself around the moment of the drug's administration. In this, in this third scheme of 12-step group temporality, what is cultivated is a kind of contemplation without pleasure. This line, contemplation without pleasure, is profound in the sense that this is what the Rebbe Rashab was talking about when we spoke about last week, where he speaks about ta'enug ha'atzmi, this essential pleasure that comes about not by way of enjoying something, but by way of refraining, a passivity in relation to temporal passage. Alcoholics Anonymous slogans like one day at a time and easy does it illustrates this. That this one day at a time mode of consciousness this realization that all I have is in front of me is the one moment, that this time, this experience that I have, this presentness that I have, it's not simply because I'm incapable of thinking beyond the present moment, and therefore I just need to try and stay sober or clean or healthy in this particular moment, because if I think too far ahead of myself, I'll fail, but rather it is the blessing of recovery that by being a recovering individual, by being in the, an individual who is forced to contemplate each and every moment of their lives, we throw ourselves into mindful attention of the present moment. That one day at a time, which is typically seen as a prescription for recovery, or a prescription for the individual who is so far gone that they can't think two moments ahead of themselves, Instead, what this year is trying to show is that we can reanimate the concept of one day at a time so that it's not only a prescription for recovery, but it's the blessing of recovery. That the individual who is no longer giving in to the instant gratification of time, that the individual who is no longer terrified of time because of the anxiety it calls into their minds, can actually live in the present moment, can be present and feel okay for a moment, can stop running for a moment, can stop feeling that we're missing out on things, that there's something about the past which calls to mind depression or sadness, something about the future which calls to mind anticipatory fear, angst, or anxiety, and I can focus myself in the present moment, and like Rabbi Nachman describes so powerfully in Torah Samech, in the 60th teaching, a person can elongate time. We can be ma'arich yamav. We can spread open the present moment and experience presence in this world. We can experience the joy of living life on life's terms. 
where we're no longer running away, no longer feeling that we're missing out on something, no longer feeling that we're late for a very important date or that we're being summoned like a Kafkaesque novel of the anonymous K being summoned into this chamber of laws and death and destruction without knowing what's happening. We can free ourselves from that confine of anxious temporality and throw ourselves into the present moment by elongating the moment, by showing ourselves that within the moment itself lies the ability of presence to confront that moment, to get over that fear of the moment, and to realize that I am okay right now. If I can say I am okay right now, nothing else matters. That is the temporal redemption that the addict or the potential addict has the possibility of experiencing. Because the truth of the matter is that there is nothing but the present moment. And in this sense, the addict or the potential addict is forced to confront life on life's terms, forced to live a life that is devoid of the illusory dependence on past or future, and we're thrown into the midst of time. We're thrown into confronting reality as it is, and the addict or the alcoholic or the chaotic soul or the soul of Gavura or the student of Shammai or the descendants of Kayan, who we've been discussing from the beginning, the Balchuva, has the ability of living life on life's terms, which means Chayim, which means actually living the blessing of more life. So that one day at a time stops becoming a prescription or a prescriptive manner, and it becomes a gift. It becomes the purpose of recovery. And what I want to look at lastly is Torah 272 from Rabbi Nachman, famously where Rabbi Nachman describes the importance of mindfulness in the present moment, which is, as John Kabat-Zinn describes, the realization that all I have is this present moment. It means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in this moment, non-judgmentally. And Rabbi Nachman says as follows, based on the verse in the 95th parak of Psalms, Hayom im bekolo tishma'u. Chazal described this as the harbinger of redemption. And it doesn't mean the collective political or historical redemption, but rather it means the redemption that each person has the capacity of finding within each and every moment of their lives. The benefit of difficulty, the benefit of being stuck in this worldliness, the benefit of being the potential addict, is that each moment offers the possibility of redemption arriving through the narrow gate, as Benjamin would have us understand. Hayom in Bekolo Tishma'u, today if you listen to his voice. Zeklal Gadol Ba'avoydas Hashem. This is a massive and general concept when it comes to serving God through modes of spirituality, through redeeming ourselves, through recovering, through becoming more that we can be. Shalo Yasim Leneged Enav Ki'im Osa Hayom that a person cannot place in front of themselves anything but that day, one day at a time. <clears throat> that whether it's with regards to physical manners, whether it's regards to confronting this worldly conditions, or whether it's with regards to avodaso yisparach lo yasim ki'im that a person cannot place in front of themselves, whether it's with regards to manners of spirituality or physicality, anything but that day, one day at a time, and anything but that moment, one moment at a time. Because when a person wants to enter into the gates of holiness, 
when a person wants to enter into the gates of redeeming themselves, when a person wants to extricate themselves even the slightest amount from their stuckness or their conditioned reality that is animated by the anxiety of death awareness, that is animated by a temporality like Asav, which says that being is towards death that being is a movement and a more iterations of death and destruction, when a person wants to move out of that, it appears to an individual as if it's a massive burden, as if it's too much baggage for me to handle. And it's impossible for me to handle this. It's impossible. The duration is too long. I can't evade the anxiety. When a person, Rabbi Nachman says, and Rabbi Nassim repeats this thousands and thousands of times, that when a person comes to the realization that all that I have in front of me is the atta, all that I have in front of me is the right now, and the call that I have to live life on life's terms, to confront the present moment of one moment at a time, is to be present to myself, to others, and to the world around me, and to my creator, at that moment it's easier. At that moment, the burden is lifted. It's not going to be a burden. Also, a benefit of this is that I'm not going to procrastinate, which is a key symptom of anxiety. And Rabbi Nachman continues and he says, The individual has absolutely nothing in this world other than that day and that moment that they are standing in. Because the next moment or the next day is an entirely new world. Like the Arizal tells us that each and every moment is a new permutation of the name of God. The name of God which is composed of the three words past, present, and future. The temporality is the given foundation upon which human beings confront existence. And it's the goal of the recovering individual, the potential recovering individual, to find redemption within time itself. And next week, God willing, what we're going to be discussing is the animated mood that we need to bring into each and every moment. And that is going to be a discussion of irreducible hope, of a hope that abides in spite of hopelessness. And we're going to continue with, I believe, two more shirim, which are going to bring us to the culmination of our series on the inner world of addiction. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.